Chapter 13 of Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Silvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Silvestre. Translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter 13 Therese's Future. Monsieur Etienne Rambert was in the smoking room of the house which he had purchased a few months previously in the Place Perrière. Rue Eugène Flachet, smoking and chatting with his old friend Barbet, who was also his banker. The two had been discussing investments, and the wealthy merchant had displayed considerable indifference to the banker's recommendations of various gilt-edged securities. "'To tell you the truth, my dear fellow,' he said at length, "'these things interest me very little. I've got used to big enterprises, am almost what you would call a plunger.' Of course you know that nothing is so risky as the development of rubber plantations. No doubt the industry has prospered amazingly since the boom in motor cars began, but you must remember that I went into it when no one could possibly foresee the immense market that our new means of locomotion would open for our produce. That's enough to prove to you that I'm no coward when it's a question of risking money. The banker nodded. His friends certainly did display a quite extraordinary energy and willpower for a man of his age. As a matter of fact, Monsieur Rambert went on, any business of which I am not actually a director interests me only slightly. You know I am not boasting when I say that my fortune is large enough to justify me in incurring a certain amount of financial risk without having to fear any serious modification of my social position if the venture should happen to turn out ill. I've got the sporting instinct. It's a fine one, Monsieur Barbet said with some enthusiasm, and I don't mind telling you that if I were not your banker, and so had a certain responsibility in your case, I should not hesitate to put a scheme before you that has been running in my head for a year or two now. A scheme of your own, Barbet? said Monsieur Rambert. How is it you have never told me about it? I should have thought we were close enough friends for that. The hint of reproach in the words pricked the banker, and also encouraged him to proceed. It's a rather delicate matter, and you will understand my hesitation when I tell you, for I'll burn my boats now, that it isn't any ordinary speculation, such as I am in the habit of recommending to my customers. It is a speculation in which I am interested personally. In short, I want to increase the capital of my bank, and convert my house into a really large concern." Oh, ho, said Monsieur Etienne Rambert, half to himself. Well, you are right, Barbet, but if you want to suggest that I shall help to finance it, you had better put all the cards on the table and let me know exactly what the position is. I need not say that if nothing comes of it, I shall regard any information you give me as absolutely confidential. The two men plunged into the subject, and for a good half-hour discussed it in all its bearings, making endless calculations and contemplating all contingencies. At last, Monsieur Rambert threw down his pen and looked up. I'm accustomed to the American method of hustle, Barbet. In principle, I like your proposition quite well, but I won't be one of your financial partners. If the thing goes through, I'll be the only one, or not one at all. I know what is in your mind, he went on with a smile, as he noticed the banker's surprise. You know what my fortune is, or rather, you think you do and you are wondering where I shall get the million sterling or thereabouts that you want. Well, make your mind easy about that. If I talk like this, it's because I've got it. 
The banker's bow was very deferent, and M. Rambert continued, Yes, the last year or two have been good, even very good for me. I've made some lucky speculations, and my capital has been further increased by some lotteries which have turned out right quite lately. Well, he broke off with a sigh, I suppose one can't always be unlucky in everything, though money can't cure or even touch the wounds in one's heart. The banker made no answer. He shrank from waking, by untimely words, the sad memories which were hardly dormant yet in the old man's mind. But M. Rambert soon reverted to his business tone. I am quite disposed to be interested in a financial venture like yours, Barbet, but you must understand that you will have a good deal more than a sleeping partner in me. Will that suit you? I should not ask you to abdicate your authority, but I tell you frankly, I should follow all the operations of your house very closely indeed. There shall be no secrets from you, my dear friend, my dear partner, if I may call you that, said Monsieur Barbet, rising. Quite the contrary. The banker looked toward the mantelpiece, as if expecting to see a clock there. Monsieur Rambert understood the instinctive action and drew out his watch. Twenty minutes to eleven, Barbet. Late hours for you, so off with you. He cut short the banker's half-hearted apologies for not prolonging the evening. I am turning you out quite unceremoniously, my dear chap, and besides, as you know, I'm not lonely tonight as I generally am. I have a young and very charming companion for whom I have the greatest possible affection, and I am going to join her. Monsieur Etienne Rambert conducted his friend to the hall door, heard the sound of his motor-car die away in the distance, and then walked across the hall and, instead of going back to the smoking-room, turned into the adjoining drawing-room. He paused for a moment in the doorway, tenderly contemplating the charming spectacle that met his eyes. The shaded light from an electric lamp fell upon the bent head, oval face, and delicate features of Thérèse Avernois, who was intent upon a book. The girl was emerging from childhood into young womanhood now, and sorrow had heightened her natural distinction by giving her a stamp of gravity that was new. Her figure showed slight and supple, delicate and graceful, and her long tapered fingers turned over the pages of the book with slow and regular movement. Therese looked round toward Etienne Rambert when she heard him coming in, and laying down her book, she came forward to meet him, moving with a very graceful, easy carriage. I am sure I am keeping you up most dreadfully late, dear Monsieur Rambert, she said apologetically. But what am I to do? I must wait for the Baron de Vibray, and the dear thing is so often late. The tragedy at the Chateau of Beaulieu had had one effect in knitting all the friends of the Marquise de Langrune in closer bonds of friendship. Prior to that evening, Etienne Rambert had scarcely known the Baron de Vibray. Now the two were intimate friends. The baronne had not desisted from her first generous effort until she had persuaded the family council to appoint her guardian of the orphaned Thérèse Avernois. At first she had installed the child at Querelle and remained there with her, leading the quietest possible life, partly out of respect for Thérèse's grief and partly because she herself was also much upset by the distressing tragedy. She had even enjoyed the rest, and her new interest in playing mother, or rather elder sister, to Therese. But as the weeks went by, and time accomplished its healing work, Paris called to the Baronne once more, and yielding to the solicitations of her many friends, she brought her new ward to the capital, and settled in a little flat in the Rue Boisset d'Anglais.
At first she protested that she would go out nowhere, or at most pay only absolutely necessary visits. But by degrees she accepted first one and then many invitations, though always deploring the necessity of leaving Therese for several hours at a time. Happily there was always Etienne Rambert, who was also staying in Paris just now. It had gradually become the custom of the Baron de Vibray, when she was dining out, to entrust Therese to Etienne Rambert's care, and the young girl and the old man got on together perfectly. Their hearts had met across the awful chasm that fate had tried to cut between them. To Therese's last words, now Etienne Rambert replied, You need not apologize for staying late, dear. You know how glad I am to see you. I wish the house were yours. The girl glanced round the room that had grown so familiar to her, and with a sudden rush of feeling, slipped her arm around the old man's neck and laid her fair head on his shoulder. I should so love to stay here with you, Monsieur Rambert. The old man looked oddly at her for a moment, repressing the words that he might perhaps have wished to say, and then gently released himself from her affectionate clasp and led her to a sofa on which he sat down by her side. That is one of the things that we must not allow ourselves to think about, my dear, he said. I should have rejoiced to receive you in my home, and your presence and the brightness of your dear fair face would have given a charm to my lonely fireside. But unfortunately those are vain dreams. We have to reckon with the world, and the world would not approve of a young girl like you living in the home of a lonely man. Why not? Therese inquired in surprise. Why, you might be my father. Etienne Rambert winced at the word. Ah, he said, you must not forget, Therese, that I am not your father, but his, the father of him who, but Therese's soft hand, laid upon his lips, prevented him from finishing what he would have said. To change the conversation, Therese feigned concern about her own future. When we left Querelle, she said, President Bonnet told me that you would tell me something about my affairs. I gather that my fortune is not a very brilliant one. It was indeed the fact that after the murder of the Marquise, the unpleasant discovery had been made that her fortune was by no means so considerable as had generally been supposed. The estate was mortgaged, and President Bonnet and Etienne Rambert had had long and anxious debates as to whether it might not be well for Therese to renounce her inheritance to Beaulieu, so doubtful did it seem whether the assets would exceed the liabilities. Etienne Rambert made a vague but significant gesture when he heard the girl raise the point now, but Therese had all the carelessness of youth. Oh, I shall not be downhearted, she exclaimed. My poor granny always gave me an example of energy and hard work. I've got plenty of pluck, and I will work too. Suppose I turn governess. Monsieur Rambert looked at her thoughtfully. My dear child, I know how brave and earnest you are, and it gives me confidence. I have thought about your future a great deal already. Some day, of course, some nice and wealthy young fellow will come along and marry you. Oh, yes, he will, you'll see. But in the meantime, it will be necessary for you to have some occupation. I am wondering whether it will not be necessary to let, or even sell, Beaulieu. And on the other hand, you can't always stay with the Baron de Vibray. No, I realize that, said Therese who, with the native tact that was one of her best qualities, had quickly seen that it would not be long before she would become a difficulty in the way of the independence of the kind baron. That is what troubles me most. Your birth and your upbringing have been such that you would certainly suffer much in taking up the difficult and delicate 
and sometimes painful position of governess in a family. And without wishing to be offensive, I must remind you that you need to have studied very hard to be a governess nowadays, and I was not aware that you were exactly a blue stocking. But I have an idea, and this is it. For a great many years now, I have been on the very friendliest terms with a lady who belongs to the very best English society, Lady Beltham. You have perhaps heard me speak of her. Therese opened wide eyes of astonishment, and Rambert went on. A few months ago, Lady Beltham lost her husband in strange circumstances, and since then she has been good enough to give me more of her confidence than previously. She is immensely rich and very charitable, and I have frequently been asked by her to look after some of her many financial interests. Now I have often noticed that she has with her several young English ladies who live with her, not as companions, but, shall I say, secretaries. Do you understand the difference? She treats them like friends or relatives, and they all belong to the very best social class, some of them indeed being daughters of English peers. If Lady Beltham, to whom I could speak about it, would admit you into her little company, I'm sure you would be in a most delightful milieu, and Lady Beltham, whom I know you would please, would almost certainly interest herself in your future. She knows what unhappiness is as well as you do, my dear, he added, bending fondly over the girl. And she would understand you. Dear Monsieur Rambert, murmured Therese, much moved. Do that. Speak to Lady Beltham about me. I should be so glad. Therese did not finish all she would have said. A loud ring at the front doorbell broke in upon her words, and Etienne Rambert rose and walked across the room. That must be the good Baron de Vibray come for you, he said. End of chapter 13 Recording by Alan Winteroud BoomCoach.blogspot.com